Good morning. Oh. I'm on. Okay. Can you hear me? Everything's. You can hear me? Okay. Cool. Okay. I have a friend who's a storyteller, amazing storyteller. He, he warned me once, he said, you're really not supposed to tell stories until about three years after they're done. Because it takes about three years for you to know what the story meant. I'm gonna break that rule. because I think it's worthwhile, at least in this moment. And it's been about three years since the beginning of this story. So my hope this morning is to share with you a little bit about where I've been in the past three years and how God has shown up in these various moments with me. And how uniquely those moments have lined up with the Beatitudes in a really cool way. Um, that I never would have expected. So my story begins a uh, long time ago. I was three and a half years old when I started tap dancing. And tap dancing conspired with my personality to train me in being achievement oriented. So there's an outcome. I want that outcome to happen. I see it. I feel like there's a way that I need to be or act or train in order for that outcome to happen. And I feel like in some way, it's my responsibility to do what I can to make sure that that outcome happens. Fast forward to the fall of 2019. I'm living in Vancouver. I had moved from living in New York City for 17 years on account of a job that I thought was going to be my dream job. The thing that I could do for the rest of my life it seemed to have all the aspects of community and the craft that I love and the opportunity to innovate and create and do things. Lots of outcomes to be able to hit. And within a year of being in that job, I burn out. 
And I burn out in a way that's not like you prepare for a big event and the event is over and you're super tired. Not in a way that you've been working for a really long time and you kind of know that your, your tank is really low and rest would do you good. I burn out in a way that was described to me as, it's not your engine was out of gas. My engine was out of oil. My engine was seizing. And I broke down, it's as simple as that. And when I broke down, every major relationship in my life broke as well. My relationship with work, my relationship with my family, and my relationship with my friends. Each one seized, because I seized. I was poor. In spirit and in stuff. There was nothing that I had that could help me in the state that I was in. And if someone were to look at me in that moment from the outside, it looked something like laying up in my bed in the room at Parker House and bawling my eyes out. There was nothing else that I could do. I didn't know what else to do, and my body was seizing. It got so bad that if somebody came to comfort me and they touched my body, I would shake. Complete poverty. I had a phone call, dear friend of mine, that I reached out to, and they asked me a question. I'm sure they could hear that I was talking through tears. And they said, is God close? Can you, can you, what's your sense? And through the tears, I was like, yeah, yeah, he's right here. I can, I know he's right here. And for me, it was the first time that I had experienced God on that side of an achievement or lack thereof. That in my immense poverty, at the point of complete failure, where I had nothing left to give. There was nothing in my engine that allowed me to even think about doing something. 
And there he was. Giving me what I needed in that moment, which is company. So I leaned in. And something remarkable happened. Very specific people and opportunities started entering into my life that allowed me to learn about God in a completely different way. For the first time in my life, I found myself among members of my own generation. I'm an only child, which means I'm really good with people 10 years older or 10 years younger and don't know how to talk to people in my own age. And in this moment in my life, I found myself with people my own age who were engaged in listening to God for each other. I had never experienced anything like this before in my life. And so we would gather over Zoom <laughs> in groups of three and four. One person would share. We would sit in silence. And the three other people will share back what they heard from God on this person's behalf. And to a, mo to a time, like every time this happened for me, what God told my friends about me had nothing to do with my circumstances, but had everything to do with how he knew me and what he wanted me to know about him. And I cried. Every, I'm a crier, so this is a common theme. <laughs> in good company but I, I cried and I cried I think for two reasons one was I was completely overwhelmed by the fact that someone knew me that well and someone wanted to know wanted me to know them that well and I also cried because of the fact that I hadn't known this before. And that in order for me to move into a deeper relationship with God as he was inviting me, there are ideas that I had lived with that needed to die. They needed to go away. And so I mourned for a long time. And this, is, this seems to be an ongoing process with me, that I come to a point of realization that there's, there's something in me that isn't functioning well. 
my attachment to achievement, my desire that my strength is the thing that gets me to the other side. And I want to change it. I recognize it now as something that is not good. And I want to change it, and I can't. And so I'm back to being poor. And then I have to, I, I realize, I, I realize that in order for, for, for me to change, for something different to happen, for a different kind of life to, ex, to be my experience, that idea has to die. And so I mourn. Mourning is hard. It is really, really hard. And I don't know on what side of that experience you've been. I've been on both sides of it. And I have never been able to be a full source of comfort to my friends. And I've never had a friend who has provided full comfort in those experiences for me. And yet, in my experience with God, I received comfort. And it was amazing. And I've never experienced anything like that before in my life. And it shifted something in me, at least in that moment. The fight, the desire to do a thing, the reliance on my own strength to get to the other side seemed to diminish because I was the recipient of something that I had never received from another person and could never give. One of the ways that meekness gets talked about is humility. I've always had a problem with this word because it's one of those words that you never hear in conversation. So there's no context for it. It's like, okay, new English word, never heard anybody talk about it. So you go to the dictionary and it has like 10 different definitions. And you know, the first one, meekness, having or about being meek, which is super helpful. Like, okay, so meek. And the one that seems to resonate the most with me is this idea of having a gentle spirit, having a mild disposition, which is in complete antithesis to everything that I learned in tap dance land. Because if you want to be a tap dancer, you have to know what you're shooting for. You have to be sure. And you have to work through all the habits of your body 
to get the note out that you want when you want it. And there's a fight there. Very few people get through tap dance land and maintain some kind of mild disposition. We argue a lot. We are so sharp in our understanding of this craft and the thing that we want to see happen that we will look at others and we will judge them so harshly. Oh my goodness. And tap dance land is excessively competitive. There are way fewer gigs than there are tap dancers. And so now you're fighting for not only the dream that you have of the craft, but your ability to survive. Because we have bills to pay. Now this story that I'm sharing with you happened at a time that I've never experienced before, which is when the entire performing arts industry was shut down. Fall of 2019, I burn out. We're now talking about the spring of 2020. And I land in Boise, Idaho, on account of a number of circumstances that are not really relevant to this story, although they are to the way that God works. Um, and all the habits that I have built in terms of how my work is supposed to function and where provision is supposed to come from in tap dance land can't happen anymore. I have the largest interruption of my life. But I have already experienced God's presence in my time of poverty. I've experienced his comfort in my time of mourning. And so I turn to him and I say, well, how are you going to figure this out? Because there's no other option for me. I can't rely on connections in the business because everybody's being interrupted. And wouldn't you know, in the first year of the pandemic, I felt more provided for and more at peace than any other time in my life as a tap dancer. I still can't figure that one out.
And I'd be happy if the story ended there. <laughs> but it doesn't. And when I, when I experience this idea of being given provision, not for anything I've necessarily done, but on account of just living with God and doing stuff and waiting for him to act. I feel this thing happen in me where it's like, oh, cool, I know how this works now. And one of two things happen, and I experienced both of these things almost in equal measure, and one is good and one is not so good. And I'm gonna share both with you. <laughs> one is, I say, cool, I know how this works. I got this, I'll see you later. I know when I need you, and I'll go back when I need you. And in, <laughs> gosh, in God's, in God's love, he runs me into a wall very quickly when I do that. Very quickly could be a day, a week, a month, or a year, depending. But the wall is there, and I'm very thankful for it. The other thing that happens is I go, amazing. The only way this works is if I stay with you. I need to figure out how to do that on a daily basis. But I am understanding, I'm learning, I'm getting to know how this works. In the same way that, I'm, that I had to get to know how a shuffle works, or how a cramp roll works, or how a pickup works. And I try on a daily basis to stay with him. And I want more of it, the more I'm able to do it. And it's not consistent. <laughs> and it's not, um, it doesn't always have the outcomes that I expect. But it is the thing that I want. Because I remember, I remember how God showed up when I was crying on that bed in my room at Parker House. I remember the comfort that I received every time an idea that I had held onto for 39, 40 years had to go away. I remember the immense provision that I received at a time when nobody was supposed to be provided for in the performing arts. It wasn't supposed to be there. And so now I have this desire, and in some circles of Christianity, desire is all couched as evil. However, I have lived in this desire to be with God. And so now that helps me decide on a daily basis what to do and what not to do. And I don't always get it right, but I really know when I don't. <laughs> like, it's super clear. 
And there's a promise. When I get it right, it's like, oh, cool. This, things happen. And there's a quality of life that I experience that is amazing. It's so sweet. It's actually the reason that I'm here. The gig that is presenting my film could not fund my trip here. They didn't have the budget. So I called everybody I knew. And they said yes. And so I'm here. And in a similar fashion, my desire to be with God provides like the fuel to make some choices that uh, they don't always look like normal choices. A lot of it looks like saying no to things that other people would say yes to. But the output is that I'm with the person that loves me the most. And I experience that. And it's beautiful. But there's something that happens when you get, you get filled, right? Because I am habituated to be outcomes oriented. And if you're outcomes oriented, you know the right way to do things so that you get the outcome that you want. And if you're now filled with the right thing, the right way to do things to get an outcome that you're not necessarily in control of, but you like and you want, you can get really judgy. Because to a degree, <laughs> To a degree, I wouldn't be the tap dancer that I am had I not been around other tap dancers that were dancing the way they were dancing. So I figure I'm not going to be able to be the person that I want to become unless other people are being people the way that I need them to be people. <laughs> and so I can get really judgy, <laughs> especially if I've experienced a feeling that I look at them and I say, well, you definitely have not experienced the same feeling. And I can do it with myself too. I experienced the feeling one day, I don't experience the feeling the next day, and I'm like, well, what are you doing? And then I remember the way God showed up when I was crying on that bed. There's nothing I could do. And I knew 
the things that were coming to mind, because I am outcomes oriented, so I can go back and I can try and track how I got to the place that I was, I knew all the things that I thought I did wrong. And God still showed up. And I mourned all the things that needed to leave me, and God still showed up. And I needed stuff, and God showed up. And I wanted stuff, and God showed up. So now I'm learning how to be when the things are happening. In the performing arts, there's a kind of like a time limit on your lifespan. Depending on the craft that you're in, it can be shorter or longer. But it's fairly evident that I'm not going to be able to dance the way that I dance now forever. And I've already lost the ability to dance in some of the ways that I danced in my 20s. Now, and I think that pressure of time for me is my greatest stumbling block for this. Because I don't even want to give myself the time to change. I want to change now so that I can get to the other side. And it's been amazing to have a vision of love that provides that kind of space. A way, a way forward that is not enabling in the way that is encouraging of doing something that's not good, but is forgiving to a degree that I don't know if I'll ever have the capacity to actually do. But, Living in that experience, there's, there's kind of this thing that's starting to grow, at least, in me that says, yeah, well, if that's the way, I want it. It'd be kind of cool to see it happen. And maybe in order to, in order to pursue that, maybe that has to be the only thing a singular focus out of which the entire 
experience can flow. Because I can't do this alone. I can tap dance alone, but it's way more fun to play with others. I'm in a, I'm in a craft where I get to call up musicians and other dancers and literally have the words, hey, can we play together come out of my mouth? And in that way, I feel like a kid asking for a play date. And I think there's, there's this idea that oh, a friend of mine uh, just had a new baby boy. And I got to meet them yesterday. Both my friend, who I haven't seen in years, and the baby boy. And the baby boy, uh, I met them. They were in their father's arms. And they, they approached, and the baby boy just looked at me, wide-eyed, but kind of a blank expression on his face. And there was nothing that I could do, or that I felt like I wanted to do, to try and get the baby boy to do anything different. Because I wanted to see what, like, they were intent on like, looking <laughs> and perceiving and questioning. And I'm like, if you ever want to feel like your heart is being read, stare into the eyes of a kid. But I was struck by the baby's intent. They weren't confused. They knew what they wanted. Who are you? I want to know. If I can't figure it out, I'll go back to my dad. He's here. He's got me. And I think there's something that I'm, I'm still working out and, and trying to find in my own life that kind of simplicity of intent. Because wouldn't it be wonderful to just know and to go through life and say that only that note at that moment every time and trust that whatever that thing is, is good. And I think so 
So when I tap dance, all the dancing that you're seeing is improvised. These are all choices that are happening now. If I was worried about every single one of them as to whether or not they'd be good or not, I would have a very hard time doing this. But I've trained not for a particular level of skill, but for a particular level of trust in my own choices. That I can, I can say, we're going to dance now, and they go, and I listen to them. And I say, nice job. I like that choice. That was very interesting. I wasn't sure I was going to do that, but maybe I'll go with you. That sounds fine. And if they're a little off balance or they're a little quirky, maybe I have to encourage them a little bit because maybe it's super early in the morning or super late at night. But the trust in my own choices allows me to play. And so I'm thinking now about what God might be doing with me so that I can trust my own choices. so that he can say, nice job, that was an interesting choice. I'm not sure I would have done that, but I'll go with you, that works. And if I'm a little off balance or super early in the morning or super late at night, maybe I can get some encouragement. And maybe, Maybe in those moments and in that practice, the kinds of choices start to feed back. Because when I dance, the stuff is familiar. The patterns are things that I've done before, maybe not in the same way. or in the same combination. But they're in the family of rhythm and sound and music and time and movement that I've immersed myself in. And maybe there's some kind of similarity between immersing myself in that world and immersing myself in a relationship with God such that there's a familiarity with the kinds of things that would come out of Him. And if I'm filled and not judgy, then maybe those things might start to come out of me too because they are the only thing that I want to come out of me. And as one thing comes out of me, I'm like, oh cool, that might lead to these things, and that might lead to these things, and that might lead to these things. And maybe it all just leads to one thing.
Because I can't stand here and say that I'm free from any achievement orientation or outcome desire or any of that. It's still very much present. But when it shows itself, there's an alternate desire and a, and a work that I attempt to engage in to the best of my ability and with encouragement and through his strength because I know how poor I am. that I want peace. And I, tr I, I try. <laughs> and it's super sad when it doesn't happen. It is super sad. But, I know there's comfort. I know there's mercy. I know that the desire is good. And so you like it's okay to stay pointed in that direction. <laughs> because we know what comes next. And it's not necessarily the most pretty picture. Our own members war against us. Not to mention people around us who when we change will not enjoy the fact that our change will trigger changes in them or a mandate to change in them that they might not be ready for and that's okay. All persecution is not malevolent. It's just a function of people not wanting to change. And I've experienced it in my own body.
I have no idea how much time that took or how much time we have. So if we have time for questions, I'm happy to take them. You tell me. Okay. Yes. Uh, yes, yes and no. Oh, so the question is, uh, what's your name? What? Evangeline. Oh, sweet. Um, so Evangeline asked, uh, when I tap dance, do I have a rhythm in my head? Yes and no. So I have uh, patterns like this one that I've spent a lot of time with. And then I have kind of options to shoot out from. So from this pattern, I can go from and I know how to come back. And so they're kind of like uh, play spaces. Right? It's like if I'm going to play on a jungle gym, I can play like this. If I'm going to play on a swing, maybe I'm playing like this. And there's like ways to play that I've played with a lot. So uh, does that answer your question? OK. This is as close as I got. Yes? Uh, <laughs> I don't think the story changes. I think my ability to tell it does. Um, the anxiousness that I carry on account of everything that I know I haven't done stays in my body. And one of the ways that I get it out or I have a sense of how much is there is by dancing. So uh, yeah. I, well, I wasn't actually anticipating, I was anticipating trying to give, like trying to share this without dancing. Uh, <laughs> and then I got an email from Gordy saying, so we're really excited to have you dance. And I was like, yeah, cool. Okay, I'm dancing. <laughs> and, I, and I wonder, I wonder if there would be a moment in my life where I can share stories without dancing. And I wonder what that might be like but I don't know if that time is now. Yes? Uh, I noticed that when, when you're dancing, oftentimes it sort of feels kind of like body language or emotional ex uh, expression. Is that an intentional part of your art or is that um, sort of unconscious? It just sort of comes out. So the question, the question is, um, is, see if I can re say this back. The, the dancing that, that I do seems to be an expression of body language or emotional kind of connection to the, to the story or just in general. And is that conscious or unconscious or intentional or unintentional? And at this, at this point in my journey, it's inevitable. And I, th I think and I think this is one of the ideas that I'm just working out in general, is that that idea is inevitable for all of us. 
there are, there are things that our bodies are habituated towards that in order for us to stop would take way more energy than to just let go. And so we run for, for good and for evil to, to a certain degree, trusting that our body knows, right? We don't have to worry about walking and hopefully not about driving, depending on who you're driving with, <laughs> right? And so, and, and so these, are good, these are good things. Like it's good for us to be able to trust our bodies to say, I walk into a space, I don't feel good about this space, something is telling me that it's not right and I will leave, right? And that is a physical phenomenon, right? It's the whole person that does that and the whole person includes the body. And so my dancing is just kind of a heightened expression of that. That if I'm telling a story and the story is sad, I'm going to dance sad. And I've taken time in the training to find rhythms that for me resonate as sadness. And hopefully that comes across. Yeah, sure. Yes. How have I noticed my dancing change from before that experience with God to now? Um, now, I do not try to pursue a sense of goodness in my dancing. That happens elsewhere. And my dancing is simply an expression of that. My dance, I, I remember, I remember one time, it was after a show, came off the bandstand, audience member comes up to me and they say, how, like, how and why do you dance the way that you do? And the words flew out of my mouth, I'm trying to get into heaven. <laughs> so it's very different now. <laughs> Right, with, with, the, with, the, with the idea that like on earth as it is in heaven is an actual possibility that I can be with God now. It's not going to be the same, but it can be really close. And all the struggle and tension and like gym kind of workout that used to happen in my dancing for the sake of an outcome that would show me as righteous enough to be with God, that's gone, or at least exceptionally diminished. Right? I still want to dance well. That's still there. I don't want to miss notes and kind of have hiccups in my rhythms and lose audience on account of lack of skill, because all that's... All that's still there, but that's not the nature of the pursuit. Yeah. Yes.
Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I am exceptionally embodied in that way. <laughs> right. Um, I remember I, I got a, I, there's two, two examples. So the question, the question is, um, does my dancing come out, you know, in random places when I get really excited or, you know, a text comes through and it's exciting news or, or sad news, like both, both things happen. And there's two, there's two moments uh, that come to mind, which I'll share. One is I got an email of being accepted to something that was very exciting at the time. Um, I had applied to become a TED fellow, give TED talks and it's like, super high profile and I had forgotten about the application and it was three months later and I get the text and I literally fell on the floor. Like read the text, boom, gone. <laughs> I was like out of a cartoon, right? And so that was, that was years ago. Just recently, um, a friend of mine was having, uh, they were going through a, a health scare and they were worried about a series of test results and so we have a, a little text thread with a, a few of us and we were all praying together. And so she responded, all clear, everything's, everything's fine. And I was jumping up and down. And so the, the dancing is not technical <laughs> necessarily, but there is, there is a, I guess, I don't know, an openness to allowing my body to move in ways to, to express the overwhelming emotion that, that comes up in me on all the spectrums. Yeah. Thank you. Wow, thank you so much, Andrew, for that. What a gift, what a precious gift. Um, I really hear, I, I was telling Andrew before the service, some of you have heard this story, I saw and met and connected with a friend for, that I hadn't seen since junior high, and he's been selling the Colch out uh, for a whole month. It's just packed out, you can't get in. He's an adult puppeteer, does marionettes. And it was, it was, it was like the puppet version of what you did with tap. It was totally improv. And I just, I feel like the Lord is just really saying um, something about that word improv just really, really got me, grabbed me. I think God wants to lead us, teach us, take us deeper into trusting, trusting ourselves. That sounds so un-evangelical un to do that, doesn't it? But it's 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 recognizing that it's it's uh, it's the real you, the, the 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 beloved of God, that one that was made for Andrew. It's to dance, to express, and each of us has our own version of the tap in us. And um, so so rich, and and just the beautiful way you brought us through the Beatitudes and connected them all. I felt a real connection with that thing of meekness and. Just letting go. It's okay to let go and just trust. And, and uh, even as, as pastors and, and Christian leaders, we're, 
we're taught kind of the Christian version of that violence, that aggression, and that you got to go for it. You know, we, we took that scripture out of context. The kingdom suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Yeah, bless God. You know, there was this group that wanted to rent the church, and they said, we want to come and contend for revival. And I thought, oh, I don't know if I want that. I remember, I remember too much. <laughs> but there is some, there's power in meekness, in strength, in weakness, in and just the, the the joy of poverty. And you know, the message last Sunday was was all about the excluded, the excluded ones that Jesus went to. And then in this address, he says, you know, you thought you're excluded because you're poor, you're weak, you know, you're hungry, but actually blessed are you. Blessed are you. Amen.